Well, hello everybody, and welcome to another episode of Beer, Baseball, and Binds. Uh, we've got uh, myself, Steve Carpenter, Chief Supply Chain Officer for Yakima Chief Hops. And I'm Joe Catron. I'm the Director of Operations for Yakima Chief Ranches. And you are in where right now? I am in sunny Arizona. So this uh, is... This is a unique opportunity. We're, we're spanning the entire West Coast because our special guest today, and he's back by popular demand, is Tom Nielsen from Sierra Nevada Brewery in Chico, California. Welcome aboard, Tom. Thanks, Steve. It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm just taking a, taking a little stroll around uh, Lower Bidwell Park during this call. So if you hear birds chirping or uh, bums fighting, uh, you know, just just, uh, just know that well, <laughs> it's just part of the ambiance of uh, of our of our quaint little uh, California, Northern California town here. Yeah, well, if the bums are fighting, hopefully they're social distancing while they're doing it. We <laughs> yeah. hate to yeah. create more problems for ourselves. But uh, yeah. you know, speaking of that, uh, this is uh, obviously where all of us baseball nuts are very much looking forward to the start of the major league season. And uh, we uh, are not starting it because of this doggone COVID virus. And Tom, just you know, how how are things uh, being affected there at Sierra Nevada by this uh, this whole situation? Well, you know, we have a, we have a great management team here, great leadership uh, group. I know we've got the Grossmans <laughs> at the helm, and you, you know, we're just uh, pretty well. Uh, you know, we're, we're very much implementing social distancing. A lot of us are working from home for, uh, for half days or every other day. You know, production is doing really well. We just established a lot of new protocols for, for maintaining social distancing and sanitizing, just going, you know, doing everything we can to, to decrease the probabil- probability of this thing becoming uh, a reality for us specifically at, at, our, at our breweries in North Carolina and California. Um, so luckily, you know, we're pretty isolated here at Chico. I think the whole county, we've only had 20 cases so far. Um, and I think maybe only two of those are, are current cases. So we've had 16 or 17 recoveries, uh, maybe 18 recoveries by now. And then Asheville on the East Coast, you know, pretty much, you know, the, Asheville hasn't really had any any severe outbreak outbreaks or high high risk so yeah i mean we're, we're doing well you know we're, we're staying in touch like everyone else through zoom and, Te- and microsoft teams is really uh was a great thing that we started using back in december and january of this year so it's very timely that we got all that together and you know people are still drinking beer just not at the bars so you know we're we're still rocking and rolling um yeah, it's it's amazing how this and and whether it's the COVID virus or the uh, you know the policymakers, the shutdowns, that type of thing. But we're seeing some weird things uh, on our end as well. One of them that we ran into early on was uh, issues with CO two. Uh, we use oh, yeah. a lot of CO two for our extract uh, machine, and uh, I'm just wondering. Uh, you know, when we got some calls from some uh, regional brewers uh, here in Washington State asking for some help with some CO2. I'm just wondering if you if you run into that down in uh, Chico or even even out in Asheville. Well, it was you know, we we have our own CO2 recovery and purification plant sure. at both breweries. 
Um, I remember when I started working here at the Chico Brewery 16 years ago, one of the things I really liked about it, uh, just these little these little perks, is you'd come into the brewery, and the whole parking lot would have these wonderful estuary uh, hoppy smells. I mean, and then at some point, I think it was probably 2008, maybe right around there, uh, we installed this Hoffman's CO2 recovery and purification plant, mm-hmm. uh, and all those smells went away. So basically, we started harvesting all the CO2 from the fermentations that were just being plumbed to ambient and and released uh, to the atmosphere, uh, recovering it, washing it, purifying it, and uh, and reusing it through all of our you know, packing brewing processes. So we were we were self-sufficient in Mills River at, at, at this time, and we had, I think we were only bringing in maybe a truck every several weeks or so in sure. Chico, but we very quickly, you know, dialed in a few parameters in fermentation. Uh, we weren't uh, collecting as much CO2 from certain brands that, uh, as much as we, we could. So we made those changes, and really within a couple of days, we became self-sufficient in Chico as well. So, No, that's yeah. uh, one of the weird things, you know, when you shut down a free market economy, how that different things manifest itself from that shutdown. And, you know, here we're in this weird state where people are lining up for the first time in their lives in food lines to get food at, at yeah. uh, those types of things. And at the same time, we're plowing under crops. <laughs> we got vegetables rotting and, uh, you know, meat productions uh, being shut down in some spots as, as mm. well. So it's just really strange if it wasn't such a uh, uh, tragedy, it would be a I guess it is an interesting case study in how free market economies work and, and uh, what continues and what doesn't. Uh, yeah. Uh, one, one, of my, uh, one of my friends, uh, co-workers, uh, you know, I, he said this kind of tongue-in-cheek, tongue and I started cracking up immediately. You know, I, th- I think the comment was, you know, well, there's certain perks to, you know, living in a totalitarian regime. <laughs> like, sure, there are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah wh- whatever. Whatever you say, Chairman. You know? Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> but it's you know in this case, this very unique case, you know, basically mandating everybody stay home for two weeks can pretty much put the virus out of commission in a very significant way. Yeah. Um, you know, and we just we don't have the ability or the I don't know. Nobody has the the, the political clout to pull something like that off successfully in in, in our in our system of government and and life right yeah. so well um, yeah uh, this uh, I, I we shouldn't get this libertarian here going on those types of subjects because we'd be here uh, all afternoon but uh, <laughs> let's get back to baseball let's talk baseball I know right. Tom you are a New York Mets fan and uh, sure uh, am have been. Tell us a little bit about the story, how you became a Mets fan. I know you you went to school back in New York. Did you grow up back in New York as well? I grew up in uh, right right next to Princeton, New Jersey, so central Jersey, um, kind of, you know, not too far away from Philly, uh, not too far away from New York City, kind of right smack dab in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, but I moved to New Jersey from Brazil, actually. I was born in Brazil in, in January of 1986. And just, you know, started, I mean, I always loved sports in Brazil. I remember, you know, watching the Olympics and 
was a huge, huge soccer fan. Uh, my dad, who's an, who's an American from uh, Omaha, um, went down there, and he, he had a really nice wood shop, and he was making bats. But the kids in my neighborhood just, you know, they didn't know what bats were, but they knew cricket. So we would play cricket on the street all the time um, with, with bats that my dad made. But anyway, uh, you know, a few years later, uh, maybe seven years old or so, um, learning English, you know, as a first grader mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, just listening to the radio every night. Um, and I just, you know, me and my buddies, yeah, I, I met, I met all these, these kids, these Jersey kids, a lot of them with connections to, to New York and just kind of adopted the Mets and just listened through that whole season on the radio every night yeah. and learning, learning English, you know, just kind of like parroting back the words and, and whatnot. And I remember I had watched some, some of the games on TV and, I just remember two things: uh, Fernandez, Sid Fernandez, the pitcher, right. and, Herna- and, and Hernandez, Keith Hernandez. And there was something I really liked about those guys because those were those were names I I, I recognized from Brazil. Sure. So I had like you know a connection to those guys, especially Keith Hernandez. Although I'll say Sid Fernandez is my favorite pitcher of all time. Um, but I you know I just I I, I love Keith Hernandez. He, you know the leadership and the charisma and and. You know, you can just tell how much everybody on the team respected him. I just really, really enjoyed his his play and on-field demeanor and everything, enjoyment of the game. But anyway, you know, it was a super exciting year, right? It was like this super yeah. impactful team. Um, you know, it was kind of a phenomenon in the country. And so that's, you know, my story is that's kind of how I basically learned Fantastic English. Fantastic story. Yeah. Listening, to, listening to the Mets on the radio, yeah. Yeah, and at well, least cool. it, uh, that year temporarily extended the uh, the curse of the Bambino, right? The Red Sox curse. Lost oh, again. Right, right. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Tom, Tom, where did you uh, where did you grow up in Brazil? I was born in uh, just outside of São Paulo in a town called Campinas, big city, Campinas. So my my dad was a professor there at Unicamp. Uh, chemistry professor, so that's the that's like the big um, uh, sort of ag, you know, science campus uh, down there. So you did your once you came to the states, you did your study at the prestigious University of New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I went to Rutgers, aka Rutgers, exactly. Yeah, yeah, had a really good time there too. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I might have been poking around a little bit on your some just some websites and some stories that mentioned you and, and noticed that you actually, when you first went to school, you, uh, you studied music and that's something near and dear to my heart. I'm a musician as well. What, uh, oh, nice. were you studying composition or were you, were you training on a particular instrument or what were you doing there um, uh, musically? At, yeah. At that time I was pretty much, um, playing jazz piano. Oh, wow. Uh, but for like eight hours a day in a little room. Right? Oh, <laughs> and then, and then trying to, trying to go out there. I mean, it's really nice being close to New York and Philly and seeing all these great artists all the time. Um, but earlier than that, throughout high school, I had, had a band and, you know, wrote a lot of music, more just rock, rock stuff, kind of, um, kind of noisy rock stuff. I don't know. Very teenage, <laughs> very teenage, very kind of discordant stuff. And oh, we had a lot of fun. Yeah. We, you know, it is. It is great. It has nothing to do with our podcast topics, but I figured out that'd be nice. <laughs> I was just curious personally. You could, you could add beats, beats to that. Finds and beats. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. 
So from Rutgers, you went right to Sierra Nevada? Or was it a little couple-year yeah. period? Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. I, I drove a 17-foot U-Haul out. It took me, I think, like five days, continuous <laughs> driving across the states with all my stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I had a pickup like that once, too. Yeah, so went to work for Sierra Nevada and the Grossmans and uh, probably uh, worked with uh, Dressler there for a while, I'm guessing. Uh, sure. Steve. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I saw him at Costco last week. Really? How's he doing? <laughs> yeah. He's doing well. Yeah. He, he's Steve. He's, you know, he's, uh, he's just an individual. He's a unique character. No, there's yes, no doubt about that. Yeah. He's one of the icons. Great guy. Yeah. Yeah, he was, he was a great mentor for, for many years, for sure. Yeah. And Sierra Nevada, I know that uh, that brewery and, and Ken starting that off uh, definitely was and still is one of the icons in the craft beer movement because of, uh, well, primarily that Sierra Nevada Pale, that, that uh, really cascady uh, classic. I, I call it a transition beer. I don't know how many of my friends that grew up drinking you know, classic American loggers who I said, you want to you want to try beer with a little bit of flavor? Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. And uh, I don't know how many friends, I'm guessing over 100 now, come back and say, you know, that was my pathway to IPAs and hop forward beers was that uh, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. And uh, it's still going strong. It is. It's still as delicious today as it was 40 years ago. It just, I mean, Every time you pick one up, it's just, it hits the spot. Yeah. It's just such, just such a fantastic beverage. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I had that moment, too, where, like, your eyeballs, you know, fly out of your face, and you're like, <laughs> oh, my God. Um, it is that car- cartoonish moment that so many people have had. Yeah. yeah. What What are you drinking down there, Joe? I know you've, it's, uh, it's got to be beer 30 down there for you, right? What do you got? Yeah, it actually, it has been for a couple hours. I think beer, beer three comes a little earlier when you're further <laughs> south, I think, is the, uh, or the closer you are in proximity to the pool, or one, one of the two. But, uh, yeah. you know, I've actually got a, a hazy little thing right now I'm enjoying. Oh, great um, beer. And that's, a, that's, a, that's something you're, you know, talking about, you know, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale and that, that iconic uh, cornerstone, really, of, of our industry that has been and always will be. Um, but just that, the continued innovation of Sierra Nevada too, you know, I like, I'm thinking of his little thing now, but I remember when Torpedo first came out, that was just one, one of my favorite beers, just that classic bitter West Coast IPA. And, um, you know, and this the continued innovation with Sierra Nevada now, you know, being able to take something like, like the Haze Craze and be able to uh, package and, and get a beer like Haze Little Thing all across the the U.S. and have it taste as good as it does uh, a testament to the continued innovation of your team, Tom, and just the, the overall package you have there at Sierra Nevada. Yeah, there's no doubt. We have a great team. It's not an easy beer to make, that's for sure. Uh, you know, we requires a lot of attention to detail. Um, you know, it's growing very quickly, so, you know, we're, we're, we're just learning. It's been a great avenue to further evolve our kind of brewing science prowess and knowledge of making amazing, amazing beers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, having a hazy beer like that stable uh, for six months in a package in the can or keg is, is no easy feat. No doubt. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's a testament to our team 
uh, that, that we're able to, to do it every day. Yeah, that's got to be one of your fastest growing brands, right, Tom? Easy little thing. Yeah, I'd say it's our fastest. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's, it's a it's really, a great beer, and that's one of the things. You know, you guys went through that phase, and I know that I uh, had uh, some conversations with you and Steve and and uh, Ken and others. Uh, that was quite a challenge, uh, you know, building that brewery in North Carolina and being able to achieve the level of repeatability that you have, and uh, quite an accomplishment. Uh, but uh, you know, you try a hazy little thing in the East Coast, and it tastes exactly the same as something in the West Coast and anything in between. So, hats off to you guys for pulling that one off. Yeah, thank you, thank you. We do uh, a session called Flavor Profile Alignment every Friday, where we uh, drink uh, beers, three or four different samples, side by side, Chico to Mills River uh, production. Um, so that's a really cool thing we get to do, and really helps us make sure that you know that the flavor profiles are, are matching. And if they're not uh, for any reason, if they're slightly off, we you know we realize it right away and and you know, figure out any any minor tweaks that need to be made. Or, but that that really happens very rarely. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a cool thing. I love I love the Mills River Brewery, man. That place is just. It's, I don't know, it's a cathedral it of, is. of brewing. It's just, it is. I've been, it's a magical place. I've been there a couple times, and uh, the other thing you pulled off with that brewery was just your uh, your commitment and passion for sustainability. I mean, it just it's yeah. all through that, yeah. and it's uh, another thing I appreciate about you guys. Let's, let's go back to baseball a little bit. Tom, uh, Joe, what are you guys right. hearing in terms of uh, when this season might get going and in, in people like the three of us can uh, return to some sense of normalcy. Yeah, Steve, uh, just, just today, actually, you know, a couple weeks and we were on a podcast talking about uh, just the West Coast and kind of how California was already looking forward to the fall and banning sporting events in the fall. And it sounds like the tone has changed this week uh, in, in, in sports fans' favors, fortunately. Um, we got governors of California, Texas, and and California, all uh, all hinting at uh, being ready for for being a, a, a partner for professional sports again to start up. So uh, whether that be with with fans or not, uh, it really doesn't matter to me as long as we uh, have some good competitive uh, baseball to watch on TV and be able to watch our teams compete. Uh, I'd be all for it. So hopefully, looking like uh, you know uh, getting those kind of the, the second round of spring training in June and then firing the season up sometime in early July. Is that kind of what you're yeah, hearing, Tom? Yeah, I think Manfred, the uh, commissioner, was on there, you know, outlining the plan uh, last week. But yeah, that sounds sounds about right. Yeah, watching the uh, you know the, the PlayStation uh, MLB the show uh, season going on just doesn't cut it, right? No, that's uh, yeah. You know, yeah. we did see a little bit. Uh, I watched a little bit of golf yesterday. They had the four guys mm. out there playing skins, and at least it was live golf you you could see him out there competing and then i guess they had a did they have a nascar race on the um, carolina yeah someplace? they did they had a, yeah they did yes they had a nascar race on sunday and i think they're gonna have a couple more uh over the next couple of weeks they're gonna try to cram a few in per week to try to catch up from what i, from what I understand 
Yeah, and I've, I've said this before, but I'm convinced that uh, our pathway back to normalcy will include both baseball and beer. I'm, I'm not sure how, but yeah. those two things will be leading the way. Yeah, so, sounds uh, about right. And if they do play, the Mets on paper have a pretty darn good-looking team. I, I think so, yeah. Uh, we lost one of our best pitchers, uh, Thor, Sindergaard. Yeah. To Tommy John, to Tommy John, right? Uh, in early, early April. So, um, but we had some depth at starting pitching, which is good. We brought in uh, Waka and Porcello, or Porcello, whichever it is. Um, so you know, we've got five. Yeah. Legit starters, um, I'd say. Deep bullpen, and again, a lot of young players, kind of with another year under their belt. Sure. Uh, you know. Alonzo certainly gonna you know might be fun to watch. Yeah, I, I don't uh, in a, in a in a, sh- in a shortened season when he's just you know yeah. trying to crush the ball. Yeah, every swing. I would. I'm gonna go out on a limb and predict he's not gonna hit 50 home runs this year, but I, I could be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then well, you get part of the plan to do an extended playoffs though. It it is yeah they're. Yeah. Uh, they're talking about ex- uh, expanding from 10 teams up to 14 and uh, an 82-game season. And then, uh, yeah, maybe playing, maybe yeah. having a World Series uh, championship played on Thanksgiving Day, something like that. Um, right, right. Which uh, will be with good. A, with yeah. a universal DH there, too, Steve. Tom, how would you feel about mm-hmm. that? Are you, are you so much of a National League purist that uh, I am, you have to, I, you have to see, have to see well, no Syndergaard get his hacks in, or do you want to see uh, – Forty-year-old uh, uh, overweight guy that can hit the yeah. ball five hundred. Yeah, yeah. Robinson Cano is going to have a career here. <laughs> Robinson um, be a good DH actually. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You yeah. know what? I am. I am a National League purist. I really, really mm-hmm. am. I, 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 you know, you got to think about the game a lot more. Double switch. Uh, you know, the, yeah, the ninth hole uh, pitcher is always going to be an issue. But in this case, no, I'm all for the DH. I don't. Whatever it takes to get the season started, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I'm with you there. Exactly. I'm with you on both counts, Tom. I'm a purist myself and have always been a little uncomfortable with the DH. Uh, but uh, I, I guess on the positive side, it's extended some careers, uh, guys that, that wouldn't have been able to play quite as long. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I like that part of the game, the thinking part of the game where you're you know, trying to uh, decide how long to leave that pitcher out there and and uh, the double switches and the, it just it adds an element to the game that's not there with in the American League right now. But I'm with you guys. If it if that's what it takes to get baseball back, uh, I'm all for it. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Um, the sure. other the other player that uh, um, that I've liked from the Mets is your I guess he plays left field, Michael Conforto. Order, yeah, yeah. yeah, he yeah, uh, kind kind of a kind of a local product. Grew up in Seattle, and I think he played his college ball down at Oregon State. But uh, he's That's right. uh, uh, good young player, and he's he's getting close to having uh, contract extension talks. Is he not? He's a couple of years in. Um, yeah, I think he's going through you know his arbitration years right now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's solid. I, I really like. He's a gamer. Yeah, total gamer. Uh, I love that guy. Uh, I think his mom was an Olympic. Uh, what is that? The 
synchronized swimmer for the okay. U.S. So yeah. yeah, I think both his parent, parents were actually athletes. Um, but yeah, he was he was a superstar for the for the Beavers down there in Corvallis. Yep. Oh yeah. And they've. Uh... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I posted I, I posted to his Twitter page a couple of years ago, as uh, we participate in a barley breeding program at Oregon State. Um, and I got a hat that said uh, Oregon's Promise on it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I took my Mets hat and I took my Oregon Promise hat and I took a picture of it and I uploaded it to Conforto's uh, Twitter account. And never got a response. So, you know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, if he only knew, Tom. If he only yeah. knew. Yeah, I know, right? I know, I know. Yeah, you guys but anyway, I'm, I'm a big fan of his for sure. Yeah. Uh, at least I can't say the Mariners squandered that opportunity and had a chance to get him like we have other uh, stars from the Northwest. Because the, mm. the Mets took Conforto in the first round, uh, yeah. number yeah. 10 overall. So we didn't even have a chance to, to miss that opportunity. Right. Yeah, we were really looking for the most established, you know, uh, major league ready hitter in the draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we didn't have anybody in the pipeline that could, you know, that could plug in. And he actually went through the system, I think, twice as fast as anybody thought, thought he would. And not due to injuries, you know, at the major league level. Uh, yeah, he, he just came up and started raking. Yep. And then you guys have uh, Eddie Diaz there. Hopefully he's got a chance to kind of come back and redeem himself after what I think yeah. was an off year last year. I mean, he was lights out yeah. with Seattle the year before. Um, right, right. So dominant the year before. Just yeah. Pretty pretty re- remarkable transformation from one year to another. Right? Yep. Um, well, we got a new pitching coach, Jeremy Hefner, who – we used to pitch with the Mets in like the 2010, 2012 era. He had like two or three Tommy Johns and called it a career. But he's now the pitching coach. He's got to be like 38 years old or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, total sabermetrics guy, total analysis guy. Sure. Um, you know, he says he's, he's basically figured out Diaz, um, you know, mechanically just through tape and, and that other advanced metrics um so we'll see we'll see yep. what kind of effect Hef- hefner has on diaz yeah that, that's going to be really interesting to watch this yep. year well it, you know you'll probably, you'll probably know you probably know like the first couple of weeks too if, yeah it was tough for me to see edwin diaz go from the mariners not so tough to see robbie cano because that i knew <laughs> when they signed him that big contract was not going to be good towards the tail end of his career um, but I have to tell you, Tom, you're not getting Jared Clinic back. Um, he's, <laughs> he's ours now. So, <laughs> yeah, I got, yeah. A, got a yeah. good look at him down in spring training, and boy, he's the real deal. He's a uh, Wisconsin farm boy, and just his work ethic yeah. and attitude towards the game, yep. uh, I, I think he's going to be uh, the real deal eventually. Um, but, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's got to be a top five prospect right now. Yeah. I would think so. Yeah, we've got another kid, uh, Julio Rodriguez, that uh, if things go right, he can. those two can be the next, uh, I think, Griffey Buner combination out there for us. So we'll see how go. that goes. Um, oh, man, that's, 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 a, that's a tough uh, level to set there for those young guys. Yeah. <laughs> we need something, Tom. We need some hope, man. <laughs> Yeah. So, what's your lineup looking like these days? I'm, I, and I, I, like I said, I'm, I pretty much stick to the NL. Um, I don't know if I can really name more than one or two players on on 
Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think there's anybody on the planet that can, um, with <laughs> with the possible exception of Depoto, our general manager. But uh, no, there's there's some uh, there's some good young talent out there. Um, you know, Haniger out in uh, center field. He's mm-hmm. it's this extra time and. Uh, it's kind of like your situation with the uh, center guard with the Tommy John surgery. It's it's never a good time to be injured, but you know delaying the season right. g- gives these guys a chance to kind of heal up a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. We've got uh, Vogel back over there at first base, who can hit the snot out of the ball when he connects, but uh, that's mm-hmm. kind of an issue. And uh, but he's but he's built like Bartolo Colon, so we got issues. Oh yeah. yeah. Nice. So I heard a little Bartolo Colon news the other day. He he wants to <laughs> come back to with the Mets. Yeah, hey. there's there's your DH right there. As yeah, that's thing, right. One of the few teams that he can actually probably make the roster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that his home run that he hit down the left field line a couple of years ago was one of the, oh. I don't know, like one of the happiest moments <laughs> in baseball. <laughs> Baseball history. <laughs> you didn't have to be a Mets fan to enjoy every minute of that. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. It wasn't uh, against the Mariners, was it? No. I think it was against it, the, the Braves or something. No, like that. it wasn't. But uh, <laughs> it was on Sports Center so many times yeah. that following yeah. week that uh, everyone had a chance to, to watch it and get a big grin on their face. That's just a feel good moment that uh, the sport of baseball brings, folks. Man, you so. know what? I, so I, I I love pitching. I was never the best pitcher, but I love just watching a game. And I I usually just really focus on the pitching. And I learned so much watching Bartolo pitch uh, just on TV uh, for the couple of years he was pitching with the Mets. I mean, he could he could make the ball go anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, it would yeah. start in the mid, in middle, and it could go 360 in any direction. <laughs> and you know, and maybe basically like a seven mile an hour differential between his fastball and his changeup, and you could just you know. He could just he could he could pitch a shutout you know, on any given night you know if he felt it, uh, but true artist on the mound, true artist, just yep. phenomenal to watch and learn learn from. Yeah. Yep. Well, hey Tom and Joe, we're going to have to wrap up this episode, but appreciate both of you uh, logging on. Uh, Joe, you all the way from Arizona, and Tom, you from that uh, park in uh, Chico, and. Uh, yeah. We uh, appreciate you coming on. We'll do it again next year, Tom, and look forward right. to to seeing you next time you're up here in Yakima. And uh, absolutely, if whether you're brewing beer or watching baseball, we wish you nothing but great hops. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Joe. It's been a pleasure. All, all right, thanks, Tom. Good to talk to you. Take care. All Keep right. making the- great beer.